Did you know I wrote a book? My book, Diabetes Sucks, You Can Handle It, is your guide to managing the emotional challenges of type 1 diabetes. And I want to offer you the book for free. You can download the book by going to www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash book. That's www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash book. You'll join thousands of other people who have read this book and taken the skills and tools they've learned from this book and applied them to their lives with type 1 diabetes. You can download the book now and start implementing the tools today. That's www.thedibepsychologist.com forward slash book. Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hey there, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman. Do you ever feel like you have to make a choice between eating the foods you want and managing your diabetes? Do you ever feel like this impossible choice means a difference between your quality of life and your health? If so, you don't want to miss this episode. My guest on this episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast is Ben Zeal. Ben is a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and he lives with type 1 diabetes. And he coaches people on how they can exercise, eat the foods that they want, and still have in-range blood sugars. We dive into all kinds of important topics in this conversation. But most importantly, you will learn how you can be free and flexible, live the life that you want, eat the foods that you want, and manage your diabetes well. And be sure to listen until the end of this episode where Ben gives his best advice around how to eat out and eat flexibly and eat the foods you want with type 1 diabetes. Here is my conversation with Ben. Ben, pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Glad you're here. Absolutely. It's a, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I'm just excited to get to chat. Yeah, so let's start off by having you introduce yourself. First of all, as a person with diabetes, tell us your diabetes story, and then tell us about what you're doing right now in your career. Absolutely. So I was diagnosed with diabetes when I was seven years old. We had just moved to Wisconsin when I was a kid. Didn't want to move. Whole family said, oh, we're going. And I was the one person that voted. I didn't want to go. And of course, a month later, get diagnosed with type one. And so I blamed it on the state of Wisconsin, which is fine. And we were going into an amusement park. My dad gets the call. I have not been to an amusement park like that since. So that was a great time. But, you know, life gets completely turned on its head. I didn't know what was going on. Would go to the dietitians, would go to the endocrinologist. They told me I wouldn't be active. They told me I wouldn't be able to eat the things I wanted. The typical things that you get told at diagnosis, especially 20 plus years ago. And so I kind of was that defiant kid that said, you know what, I'm going to figure this out anyway. And subsequently, you know, had a big period of time where food felt like it was off limits. I would experiment. Things wouldn't go very well. I'd start to avoid certain foods, exercise. I never quite gave up my grip on, but I was like, hey, I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to play sports. And I did. And there were lots of highs, lots of lows along the way because the technology hadn't developed to what it is now. 
and eventually got into college, realized that training was my love. Nutrition was the X factor in blood sugar control and in, you know, seeing results from the training and started combining the two of them, became a registered dietitian, became a certified strength and conditioning specialist and realized, hey, this world needs information in nutrition and exercise that I could never get growing up. And I'm going to serve the diabetes world and make that my life's mission. So my goal is to serve over a, a million people living with diabetes so that they can have the amazing blood sugars they deserve so they can live a life unrestricted, eating the foods that they want to be eating and becoming stronger than they've ever been. So lots to dig into there. Uh, yes. I, want start, I want to start at the beginning. Shoot. You said You said that when you were diagnosed, you were told that you couldn't be active and you couldn't eat certain foods. Now, I want, I want to hear more about that because one of the things that I hear so much and the thing that really sets people off on a trajectory of emotional health or emotional distress are the messages that get diagnosis. Whether you're told, yes, you can do anything with diabetes and it takes some work, but nothing will get in your way. Or it's not like what you heard was your life is all of a sudden restricted. Yes. Oh, it was, it was, your life is over. You're seven years old. You're almost eight and your life is over and you'll get to, I, for the next probably two, three years, I can count on my hands, my feet, and probably on yours as well. The number of people who had birthdays that I got to watch everyone else eat the cupcake. And I just got to watch them because I couldn't have it. And where did this come from? Was it your parents, your doctors, yourself? I, I think it was a combination. It was the doctor's initial message, which then freaked my parents out, which then trickled down to me. And then that, as you know, the, the game of telephone happens, I'm a kid. I only know what my parents are telling me and they only know what the doctors are telling them. So it just became this very distorted, twisted message of you cannot have things that taste good. Everyone want to keep you safe. Their attentions were so good, but the results were just so disastrous. Yes. Oh, Yes. How did that impact you as a seven-year-old and as a 12-year-old and as an 18-year-old? Like, tell me about how you thought about food throughout your childhood with diabetes. It was, it was rough. I felt, you know, very much put in a box and thinking, hey, you know, I want this ice cream. Hey, I want this cupcake. Hey, I want this, this cake or this other treat. And it would either become, I'm going to have it. And I know my number is going to go to 350 and I'm going to feel like absolute horrible or I'm just not going to have it. And my number will probably still go high anyway with whatever substitute there was. And that happened, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, probably that, you know, teenage years, that period of time is where I got a little more experimental, but then nearly every time there was no new information on what I could do to manage these meals or foods better. So it just became, Hey, I'm just going to keep figuring this out again and again. And, you know, insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Yeah, that sounds incredibly challenging and confining. It's almost like you're put in jail, diabetes jail, as soon as you're diagnosed. And we're fighting to get out, but couldn't quite figure out how. And every time you escaped, you had to go back into jail and had your sentence lengthened. Yeah, they would just, they would catch me as I was trying to leave. And then they would bring me back in and they put me in, you know, the solitary confinement or whatever it was and just not tell me anything. And at least for exercise, I broke out early and got away. But even with that, it was still a struggle probably up until probably through till college. Cause that's when I finally got a CGM and that's when those started becoming more mainstream. And even then it became, you know, this, this, how am I going to figure out using these trends and how is that going to work? Was it a struggle with your blood sugars or a struggle with your mindset? I think both. 
I really think, I think the blood sugars influence the mindset and then the mindset influence the blood sugars, which as you know, as well as I do, the, the stress and the, all of the, the mind body connection is far more powerful than we give credit for. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, when I, when I'm hearing you tell the story, even though we both know that the reality of diabetes is not what you thought it was when you were seven or 12, that the stress of not being able to be one of the crowd to be able to have the birthday cake at the party is probably worse than the 350 blood sugar that would have resulted from having the birthday cake. No doubt about it. Yeah. Well, and, and I think too, with that, it's just this constant, is this ever going to change? Is this ever going to happen? Can I ever actually break free and do this with success? Mm-hmm. And it just felt like it was so far away and was just never, ever, ever, ever going to happen. Yeah. I hear that all the time, especially for folks who are diagnosed as adults, but also people who are diagnosed as children or teens who are just struggling. And they say, is this ever going to end? Is this ever going to get better? And there's a sense of helplessness and hopelessness that it just won't. And they not only, not, not only can it not, but that they don't have the ability to figure it out. And so it's like, I throw their arms up in the air and either can be live this life that's completely confined or it's out of control with their blood sugars. And just like kind of saying, I can't, nothing I can do about it. So I'm going to go crazy. And that's not good, not good either. Cause you oh. don't feel very good at all. Well, and, and that craziness, that's you know, the, the rebellious teenage stage, you want to try it, but then you think, well, do I need to eat this food 15 times before I can actually figure it out? And at that point, is it even worth it? Or should I just, you know, eat the safe food that everyone says is socially acceptable. And even, I mean, in my teen years, I used to, you, you'd love to hear some of the things I would tell people to that. Why I was eating food differently than them. It was just so I didn't have to explain diabetes and have people ask me about, you know, well, is our, can you not have sugar? Can you not have this? Are carbs bad? And like my grandma had, like, I didn't want to hear any of that. So I just started making up reasons. So what's the best one you made up? Oh God. I don't know about best. I remember one time this one made no sense. I had everyone else was eating. I think it was like barbecue or something. So, you know, like ribs and Mac and cheese and all that. And I was eating some sort of probably chicken Caesar salad. Cause that was always the safest thing. And someone asked me and I was at some group event, probably a school thing. And I just said I was lactose intolerant, which made no sense because there was cheese all over the salad. But I don't think anyone was paying enough attention. I just figured they would just go with it. And they did. Yeah. But it was Use big words that people don't understand them. Exactly. Use the big scientific words and sound convincing. And everyone thinks, oh, wow, that's cool. And then they don't care anymore. But no, it was the first time even telling someone at one of these events when I was, I think, 17, when I actually saying I have, you know, type one diabetes was probably one of the scarier things I had ever done up to that point. And what was their reaction? Everyone was cool with it. I thought everyone was going to judge me and, you know, look at me differently and not want to hang out and all that. And people are like, okay, cool, whatever. We don't care. What can we do to help you? And I was thinking, this is crazy. This has never happened before. Yeah, it's a much bigger deal to you than it is to anybody else. I think that's right. always always the case. And if it's a much bigger deal to them than it is to you, then you have a problem <laughs> with them, not you. Exactly. But, you know, tell that to a 16 year old or 17 year old that the few times previously they've said anything, it's been absolute living terror. Absolutely. So tell us about your work now. So you're working as a dietitian and I I have a couple of things I want to talk about. I talked to you about the first is just what you do and how you help people with diabetes, but also you are working as a male in a female dominated space, both in the diabetes social media world, as well as as a dietitian um, and a diabetes educator. Like how did this all work together? 
Oh, there's, I would say there's so many things here. So the first thing that, that we do as a practice, there's myself, I have a few other dietitians on my team who also live with diabetes, which is awesome. As you mentioned, ironically, you know, they are all female, but you know, our big thing is working with patients to say, Hey, what can we do to make your blood sugars better? So your A1C can be in the fives, in the sixes and improved control, less variability than now, but also while you consume foods that you like, like all those, you know, I'm not saying eat all the cupcakes or all the cookies that I didn't get as a kid, but if you want to eat them, learn how to do so. So you can still enjoy life. And then at the same time, you know, become your leanest, strongest, best version of you. So that's really what we do as a practice, which has been nothing short of phenomenal watching people transform. But as a dude, it's it's definitely interesting because I feel like sometimes for lack of a better term, us dudes kind of just get, you know, we fall into the cracks a little bit and sometimes reaching out and, and thinking about, you know, Hey, is anything centered towards us guys? I feel like the, the guy talk is this much and the girl talk is, you know, much, much more common, frequent, substantial. Yeah. And I think, you know, women in the diabetes space and in general tend to search out the connection. It's more natural for them. And the guys, they, they want the help. They want the support, but they don't know how to ask for it. And they tend to be a little bit more hesitant to, to, um, engage in it and to move forward when, when it's offered to them. Well, and I think part of that is just us as guys, right? As guys, we, we have that sense of, well, we're supposed to be able to do this, you know, that ego sense a little bit where we have to figure this out and we're going to figure it out on our own, or we're not strong if we're asking for help. But at the same time, it is okay to ask for help and support. Like I, I have made the biggest breakthroughs in my own life, whether it's diabetes professionally, et cetera. When I ask for help and get to that, you know, that next level comes from the support as opposed to I'm going to put my head down and figure it out. Then you end up usually, you know, ramming your head into a wall until eventually it breaks or you get tired of running and then you, you know, get help anyway. So can you give me an example of a client you've worked with recently that has found success? Tell me about their success with their blood sugars as well as with their emotional state and their headspace. Are we talking male client, female client? Doesn't matter. You choose. Oh, there's, I'm trying to think because I'm like, fortunately, there's a lot of different good choices. But I think if, if we're really looking at the, the food relationship side, there's one that I've worked with now. I'm trying to think probably two months, roughly. And coming in, she was terrified of any social event in terms of food. You know, oh, my friends asked me to go to brunch would be her biggest nightmare. She would make up reasons to not go or she'd go and she wouldn't eat anything. Maybe she'd have a couple eggs and watch everyone else, you know, have the mimosas, have the pancakes, have everything else. And it was terrifying to her for brunch, for dinner, for lunch, whatever it was. And she's now at a point, she told me last week, she said, Hey, you know, I'm not scared of any food situation. I can walk into whatever kind of meal with whatever kind of people, doesn't matter if they're friends, if they're business, you know, associates, whatever I can go into that restaurant. I can say, I want this, this, and this, I know how to figure out what I'm going to dose. I know how to figure out what the carbs are and the fat and the protein are, what my number is going to do, get it all down to a science. And that was like eight weeks maybe nine weeks. She has gone from complete one end of the spectrum to complete other end. And she said, I feel so liberated and so free. And that was all done at the same time as in her particular case, she wanted to get stronger. She wanted to lose weight. So now she's stronger than she's been because she really started, you know, getting intense on the exercise, but then also dropping some weight at the same time. So I feel like we can accomplish these multitude of outcomes at the same time, as long as people are driven and dedicated. And that's just one example, but I really like her story because she was so restricted on the food and so afraid of so many different things. And now she's like, try me, let's go. Now, was she scared of dosing for the food or was she scared of eating the food or I think a, co- both. a combination of both? 
I think both, but also just the the fact that there were other people around her that didn't understand diabetes that were going to question her choices, ask if she could eat something. So then she would feel even more uncomfortable, which as you know, you know, it makes your, it makes it harder to think when you're already anxious about what else is going on and make proper decisions. Now she's like, cool, I can have whatever, whenever with whoever. And that I think is the ultimate freedom when it comes to food with diabetes. Yeah. Freedom of peace of mind is what she was looking for. Yes. So tell me, walk me through the process of how you worked with her. Like what, what did you do? How did, what is your process of working with someone look like? Absolutely. So, so with her, of course, you know, we're looking at the baseline. Where are we starting at? What, you know, what building blocks are already there that we can work from? Because otherwise we have to start from literal zero and most people have something ingrained that's usually useful, usable, et cetera. So we figure out, okay, what is her baseline? Then we figure out, okay, from a restriction standpoint, what is leading to this restriction? What are we trying to do? We're trying to optimize in her case, you know, body composition as, you know, the secondary goal, but also optimize, hey, how can we get that freedom in there? So how can we give her a way of eating that makes sense? So whether that's, you know, maybe for her, it might be moderate carb, maybe it might be higher carb, maybe it may be lower carb, but whatever it is, where can we slide along that spectrum to make it work for her and her blood sugars? And then from there, okay, hey, it's starting to work a little bit. She's starting to get the foundation down of what makes sense, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, et cetera. And then, you know, with her schedule, then from there, okay, now let's implement the restaurant side. So let's, you know, go through and say, hey, what are you thinking about having? You know, you're going to go out on this day. Let's see what that menu looks like. Let's go through that together. Oh, you're thinking of this, this, and this, you know, how are we going to have you assess that portion? You're not going to bring a food scale or a measuring cup to the restaurant. If you do, you know, by all means that's on you, but I don't recommend that because that's not real life. You know, you're not going to bring a food scale into a, you know, Italian place that would just seem out of place there. So, you know, how are you going to assess it to the best of your ability? How are you going to factor in the fat and the protein that may kick in four, five, six hours later? And then what are you going to do to be able to say, hey, I'm going to estimate the dose. I'm going to do as good as I can. And if you're 80, 85% of the way there, that's already going to push you far and away ahead of, you know, saying, oh, this looks like seven and dialing up and hoping that you did the right dose. So it sounds like what you're doing is the, the opposite of what most people think a dietitian does is tell someone what to eat. It's helping them navigate menus, helping them navigate their life in the context of their of the food and not the other way around, not saying you have diabetes, so you must eat that or you can't eat this. It's you want to eat this. Okay, how do we make that work? And that's the thing is, is loosening the reins a little bit because we are programmed so early on of you must have this, you can't have this. I want to give the power back to the patient and say, hey, what do you want to eat? And then how are we going to make this work for you fit within your goals for the day? So even if you want to go to an Italian place, how can we make that fit into like a weight loss goal or a strength gain goal? And then how can we get you confident in eating that particular food? That to me is, is the, the key there. And then once you have it down, it's step by step. I tell people out of the gate, I'm not going to tell you eat seven grapes and four almonds for snack at 3.32 p.m., because nobody's going to do that. No one's going to listen to it. And then it's a waste of time for everybody. I'd rather give people the tools and the information and the education that they need so they can then say, Hey, I'm going to eat this. And I know exactly how, why, et cetera. And I mean, I had a guy tell me the other day, he went to, to in and out, which I wish I had around here, but went to in and out, got, I'm jealous, you know, got the, got the burger, got the animal fries, never went over 145. Yeah. Like show me the picture, show me the graph, everything. And, and that's something where it happens consistently because he has the tools to say, Hey, I'm going to do this. And I know exactly what needs to happen when it needs to happen. And yeah, there's structure that needs to be in place, but 
he wanted to go to in and out so he did like that's how it it can be i tell people 90 percent of the time you know you're eating the i'm gonna use air quotes right the the typical, you know, the smart way of eating, the responsible, the healthy, whatever, whatever, you know, words, adjectives you want to use. The other 10% enjoy life, have at it, you know, enjoy the the dinners out and the crazy food a little bit, but be smart about how you dose for it. So it doesn't mess with your number. I think that, that what you just said is a huge lesson that we can all take away from is that sometimes freedom comes with structure. The structure gives you the freedom to do what you want to do. If you don't have structure, then the freedom, you don't have much freedom. But when you have structure about, okay, I want to, I have, want to make a choice to do this. And in, or, in order to do that, I put the structure around myself to be able to allow me, myself to do that and keep my blood sugars in range and keep my mindset in a good place. It's so important. There was a, I don't remember who said it. There was someone I was, I saw, maybe I was scrolling or something and they said structure equals freedom. And it just hit different because it makes like, to your point, it makes so much sense. You have just, it doesn't have to be crazy structure. It doesn't have to be you must have this at this time. It's just, hey, you do this and this will work. You know, you put in these inputs and 85, 90% of the time, the outputs look great. That's all we can really ask for. Because in diabetes, there's going to be wrenches. You could do everything right perfectly. And there could still be, you know, a low or a high. That's just sometimes the nature of the disease. Maybe you didn't sleep enough that night before. Maybe, you know, you weren't as active. But if you can nail it 90% of the time, you're doing pretty darn good. Yeah, one thing that I hear a lot is talk people talking about, freedom, wanting freedom and also wanting spontaneity. And I said, that's great. Let's get you, let's make you spontaneous, but, um, let's go to Vegas right now. And let's get in our car and go to Vegas. And they said, well, I can't, I was like, why not? Well, I have work and I'm, I have, you know, my kids need to be picked up from school and my car didn't have enough gas in it. And I don't have any cash. I was like, okay, well, great. So you can be spontaneous, but you have, even if you don't have diabetes, you have to put some things into place to allow you to get in the car and take off to Vegas or you'd be able to eat, you know, go out to a really fancy restaurant. You have to make sure that you have saved up your money and that you, you have the right clothes on and all those things. And so I think we had this, this idea that spontaneity can't happen with diabetes because you have diabetes. But the reality is, is that in life, it's hard to be spontaneous on the on your whim because you have to have other things in place that are balancing your responsibilities. And I think putting in that context can be really helpful because then diabetes isn't the villain. It's life and the, the challenges of life are all there and they're there for all of us. They're not, they're not just for me and you with diabetes, but they're there for Joe on the street and Tina at school and my mom, right? Right. Well, and, and that's the thing is I, if we use a, a football analogy, right, it's almost like you, you know, you studied your playbook, you know what to do. You're the quarterback. And then from there you can say, oh, I see a certain thing in the defense. I want to change the play. You tell me I want to go to Vegas right now cool, you know, give me an hour. I know exactly what to do for, you know, packing my stuff for diabetes and for regular, you know, I know to get the gas in the car. I know to get everything else ready and I can be good in an hour with the life stuff and the diabetes stuff. It's just that extra little step we have to add in for diabetes, which if you, you know, have the foundation, I talk about spontaneity with the people we work with all the time because it is such a part of life. And people say, oh my goodness, I'm flying on a plane tomorrow. I didn't expect this. Cool. Let's run through the progression. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, you have everything you need. Great. Go have fun. From a dietitian point of view, yes. How do you advise people about drinking alcohol? Oh, that's a fun one. That's a very fun one. And it's it's also ironic. I just I don't like the taste of alcohol, so I'm not a huge huge person for alcohol. But what I usually tell people is, you know, hey, it's going to depend on what you're drinking, and then in the context you're having it. If you're, hey, I'm having a glass of wine at dinner. 
whatever, not a huge deal. You know, maybe you'll see a little tiny, you know, bump up and drop later. Not a big deal. If you're saying, Hey, we're going to go pound a bunch of shots. That's where it's going to be a little bit different where I'll say, Hey, you know, after I would say if you, once you go past two for women, it might be past one, but especially for guys, you know, past two, past three, that's where if it's liquor, you're usually watching a couple hours from now, your number may start to drop. If it's, you know, the mixed drink, you may see initial spike, but you're going to have to wait for that drop on the back end. And then the beer and the wine, that tends to be a little bit simpler, teeny little bit of carbs. You deal with it. You might have a tiny little drop on the back end, but I always tell people have the low snacks ready, especially at like the one and a half to two hour mark. And then recognize that you can't use glucagon if you do go low because your liver is so busy detoxifying the alcohol, the glucagon can't activate, you know, the, the glucose in your liver to dump. And that's unfortunately just the reality. So have something food wise on you that is fast to make sure you're good. But usually, you know, it, it gets a little more in the weeds than that, but the biggest thing is have the low snacks. I mean, ideally, you know, don't drink like seven, but if you do at least know what to watch for and be, I would say conservative on the dosing if there's carbs in them. But for you, it's the same thing. It's how do we navigate around drinking and not how do we avoid drinking? How, how, how do we tell you you have diabetes, you cannot drink alcohol at all? Exactly. Like, and I'm, and, and you just saw, like, I wasn't like, oh, well, don't drink. Like, I personally just don't like the taste of it. If you told me, hey, you can have two beers or a brownie, I'm going to pick the brownie 10 times out of 10 because I like brownies. But it, for someone who wants to, you know, hey, it's how can we do it? Someone tells me they want to go on a cruise to Alaska. Great. How can we get you to Alaska and have the best time ever instead of you shouldn't go on a cruise to Alaska? Terrible. Like, no, nothing is a terrible idea when it comes to, you know, doing adventurous things to trying new experiences. I mean, within reason, of course, but at the same time, it's how can we fit diabetes, you know, just kind of into your life and have it in the back burner instead of diabetes being the, the number one star of the show and everything else is just kind of the periphery. So last question for you. I have been talking to some folks recently who are newly diagnosed and they're diagnosed as adults. And one of the things that they tell me is so challenging for them is they feel like they're drinking out of a fire hose. Some of them were given a bag of insulin and a, a glucose meter and said, okay, we'll see you in a month with no education. And even people who've gotten more education, they feel like diabetes is just like, they're always thinking about it. And it's like, there's too much information. And one of the things I tell them is, Pick the big actions that matter. Pick the things in your life and with diabetes that you know are one, the most important and two, the highest leverage activities. If you pay attention, so for me, you know, for me, if I, you were to ask me this question, I would say the highest, the, the most important thing that anyone with diabetes does is make sure they have basal insulin mm-hmm. on board, either whether they're taking Atlantis or, or Levomir or Traceva, or they're using their pump. Having that background is, is critical to keep you alive. And then personally, I try to avoid high carb breakfasts because I know that if I eat high carb breakfast, my blood sugar will be high the rest of the day. And for me, that's just not worth it. So that's the, for me, that's the highest leverage activity other than taking insulin. I wonder for your point of view, both personally, but also the advice you would give somebody who is feeling like they're drinking out of a fire hose. What is the highest leverage activity in terms of nutrition and fitness that you would recommend? That is such a good question. And I I would say, and this would probably be, I feel like a lot of times the stuff that I talk about tends to be the stuff that I do anyway. So it kind of works hand in hand, which is nice, but I also do my best to go into the research and explain all that. I would say the first thing would be like you said, you have the foundational, do you have your long acting? Do you have your short acting? Or, you know, you have your pump and you know what to do with it. You know how it works. After that foundational part, I'd say the next part is the food. 
you know, how do you assess the carbs? Then once you get really good at assessing the carbs, you're first diagnosed, how do you consider assessing the fat and the protein? Because that's might lead to some of those seemingly random highs later. And then from there, you know, how can you handle different types of exercise? You know, if you're doing strength training, if you're doing cardio, if you're doing some sort of sport, how can you handle that? Those three, I think are the, the three foundational pieces that we really start when we have people building off of them. And then from there, you know, we can go more into the weeds with the nutrition side of things, you know, the hydration side, the sleep, all of those other factors that play a role. But if you can get those first three areas down the, the you know, the very basic diabetes foundation along with, you know, the, the nutrition side, again, basics, big, you know, overview picture along with how can we get exercise done? You get those down, you're already 60, 70% of the way. And the rest of it is fine tuning the big three. And then of course, adding on those little factors that might be playing a role, but it's really, you know, what is, what's the thing, the 80, 20 principle, maybe that's a better example, you know, 80% of it are those big three, the rest of it's there and it's important, but it's mainly fine tuning at that point. And is there one strategy in the, in the nutrition realm, which you think is the most important or the biggest for you personally and things you recommend to your clients? I would say, oh, that's tough. I would say that the biggest thing I would recommend while people are at home would be, and it's going to sound wild and it's going to sound annoying, but I would still recommend it, getting a food scale because weighing or measuring food in a cup is great, but get the food scale and get an idea of what portions look like because pretty soon you'll have a photographic memory because you do it so many times. And also, and this is, maybe this is just me, but if I'm putting cereal in a bowl and it's on the counter or it's on top of a food scale, there's no difference in the amount of effort it takes to do that. So to me, I think it's pretty easy, but you know, Hey, this is what about a cup of cereal looks like. This is what a cup of pasta looks like. This is what a cup of broccoli looks like. And then you now know. So when you go out to a restaurant, it becomes a lot easier to visualize it without having to bring your scale or having any sort of other resources with you. So you can actually be present and enjoy it. People get good at that out of the gate. Everything else gets so much easier. That's amazing advice, Ben. How can people get a hold of you? Um, I'd say the, the easiest ways would be on Instagram would be at man of zeal. So M-A-N-O-F-T-Z-E-E-L. Also same handle on TikTok. And then my website is yourdiabetesinsider.com. Awesome. Well, Ben, thank you so much for your time today. It was awesome talking to you and can't wait to continue collaboration with you. Yes, I'm so excited. This is the first of many. That does it for this episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor. Share it with a friend. Put the link in a text message or an email and send it to them. And let them know how much they would enjoy it. Sharing this episode will really help me get the word out about this podcast so more people with type 1 diabetes can benefit. I always love hearing from my listeners, so please feel free to send me an email to mark at thediabetespsychologist.com or DM me on Instagram at the Diabetes Psychologist. And of course, be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. Remember, type 1 diabetes is not easy, but you can have an easier time with it. And I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com and be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. Podcast.